Hi and welcome to The Light Leaders, a podcast for light workers who want more money, power and impact. I'm your host, Alex E. Lember. I believe that we are currently in the middle of a global awakening of humanity and that leveraging entrepreneurship is the fastest way to raise the consciousness of our planet. So in this podcast, I interview light workers and conscious entrepreneurs who follow their soul mission and have built a business around it. I call them light leaders, and this is the new paradigm. You will hear their stories and more importantly, receive tools, tips, and strategies on how you can also impact more people and grow your business while following your soul mission. If you hear little nuggets you love and you'd like to share, screenshot this episode and share on your Instagram stories. Make sure to tag us at the Light Leaders Podcast and we will repost. I have a question for you. How can we build a new earth if we keep using the old systems? We can't. And this is why I'm such a fan of decentralized cryptocurrencies. I believe the old paradigm of centralized power and control is crumbling before our very eyes. The debt and money printing of governments is out of control. 35% of all US dollars in circulation today have been printed in the past 10 months. We are on the verge of a collapse of the old banking system and its currencies. I believe cryptocurrencies to be a safer store of value, an incredible investment opportunity, and a more fair system to build our societies upon. I am passionate about helping other conscious people learn why cryptocurrency is the way and how they can join the movement, learn more about how it works, and create their own secured and balanced portfolio. With my friend Fabrice that I've had in this podcast, we have created a crypto workshop for beginners. You will find more information on thelightleaders.org slash crypto. Hi, and welcome to this new episode of The Light Leaders. Today, I'm with Tom Slater. Welcome, Tom. Tom is leading retreats around the world. You call them Embodied Freedom. Mm -hmm. And used to work with uh, Avalon. Yes. So I did that retreat uh, a month ago now. It was really profound. And I'm super happy to have you. So thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Tom, before we start, I'd like to ask you, what are you grateful for today? Mm. Um, yeah, today I'm grateful for just having eaten. I'm grateful for having a full stomach. Mm. Feels good. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful for the life that I'm building here in Bali. Um, a beautiful partner um, and a beautiful relationship with the person that I work with, um, James, who's mm. fantastic. Yeah. Work partner and um, co-conspiratorial leader with me in the retreats. So yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that connection as well, that relationship. Yeah. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit more about, um, let's say the work you're doing in mm. general? Mm and uh, maybe what led you to it mm. yeah well um the yeah my whole life was leading up to the work um but the kind of 
skinny on how I got to do the work that I'm currently doing was basically meeting an amazing um, woman called Alania Forsberg who founded an organization called Avalon and then I worked alongside her for a number of years co-creating and evolving that work um, uh, which is basically coming in the format of seven-day retreats mm -hmm. um, and it's a kind of it's a uh, a lot of different things kind of plugged into one experience to, a, to an extent. So there's shadow work, there's inner child work, there's psychodrama, um, there's catharsis, a lot of trauma healing is done in the space. And then we're basically using um, surrender, presence and connection as three very powerful tools for mm. self-actualization, realization and um, truth. Basically, so um, the work essentially is a very surrendered space in which we get to reveal our deeper truths, what's going on underneath the surface of our everyday homeostasis, everyday way we're showing up. Often we're positioning ourselves to an extent or a greater extent with other people, with ourselves. So the space is really an invitation for going into deeper and deeper layers of, of ourselves and to, to really face different aspects of ourselves and to realize different mm. perspectives but in connection with other people so it's a kind of opportunity for us to heal um, with and for each other mm. yeah so i did it a month ago and i totally got a lot out of it um i could feel parts of my power i wasn't owning and, and, and through shouting and some catharsis i could mm. feel i stepped up there the moments when I didn't share my needs so much. So it's, it's been a very profound experience for me. And I know a lot of people who have done it. Actually, that's why I joined, because a lot of people said really good things about, about this work. Mm -hmm. um, what, what makes it different than your usual personal growth retreat? Mm. Well, what um, do you specifically like about this work? Yeah. Um, specifically like about this work is, is leaning into not knowing. So mm. I'm facilitating the retreat along with James, but I'm very much coming from not knowing as opposed to like, I've got things figured out in myself, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a whatever positioning myself in that respect. I'm very much on this journey too. So my invitation is very much also to myself to lean in, in connection with other people and to draw from my experiences in life, but also in the, through the work, having a lot of exposure to this work over the years, um, to draw from that, to be able to kind of go into a curious landscape with people, but not to kind of hone anything to a certainty. I want to open to the possibility. So we often we want to close to some kind of certainty where we understand, oh, I get it, I understand what this is. Hmm. And because we're working very somatically in the body, then often we have no idea what's going on at all um, and we don't need to mm. but we can reach and grasp for cognition because it kind of it has that feeling of like oh i can i can kind of equate this to this particular mm. story but it's getting out of the story and getting into something the landscape beyond story is so powerful so it's working essentially with energies working with with um what's alive in the body system as opposed to what's like understood in the mind and that's what i love about this work and which is cool also because if you do it a few times then it's always very different yeah yeah and a lot of people say oh it's always a different retreat but 
with yours, I can mm. feel how that would be mm. really much the case. And even one month after, I, I thought about doing it again. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, has, how did you come to there? To mm. doing this? Well, I mean, I've, I'd, yeah, I, I was, I've always been curious and um, also like I've been on a kind of self-development exploration since I was very young, since I was about eight years old. Um, I learned to meditate when I was five or six years old through my uncle and he was a Hindu, or is a Hindu. And so I kind of went, started out on that journey and then I went a lot into uncertainty. I was very angry when I was a teenager. I created a lot of chaos with my father around this. Um, and so it was a kind of mixture between being very uncertain and chaotic in my, in my expression and then wanting to figure it out and knowing that there was a deeper truth in me that I wanted to uncover mm. um, or more compassionate heart that I wanted to realize. And so when, as soon as I could leave education, I did, and I went traveling and I traveled for many, many years between the age of more or less 17 to up to mid thirties, um, sometime periods of time when I wasn't, but a lot of the time I was, and I was seeking, I was going to a lot of meditation retreats. I was going mm. into a lot of ashrams. I went to live with various different tribal cultures because I was looking and I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I was just seeking and gleaning information and Um, and unwittingly I was being taught along the way so I was looking for a teacher to an extent especially in my 20s I wanted to be mentored somehow and I never really found one but what I realized was that life itself was my mentor that actually just being open and constantly looking for novelty or looking for new experience um, and the possibility in that was an immense teacher essentially so this in many ways informed when I came to this work informed my capacity to be able to lean in and to mm. do this work so for me surrendering and being in a state of not knowing um, and being curious were just things that had naturally um, evolved in my own life and then there was things which I wasn't used to around leadership and so turning up as a leader and standing mm. up as a leader Also articulation, talking into a group was very, very hard for me. I had a lot of trauma around that because I thought I was going to be criticized or attacked or I was going to be, you know, exposed in some, in some way. So that for me was a, a greater journey in, in respect of this work. It's like, it's like a balance, right? Also, because I feel there's a lot of flow. There's a lot of, we don't know what's going to happen, which makes, for example, the retreat I attended very exciting. Mm. Um, interesting also at some point you feel like you're in a madhouse mm, yeah. <laughs> and, and you let that happen and it's mm, beautiful mm. but at the same time we can feel there is still a container there mm -hmm. is still a, a, a flexible direction but that there's a process of opening mm. around a shared language mm. around the spiral dynamics that mm -hmm. we can talk about sure and then we go more into that flow and an integration so mm -hmm. it's not just just flow there's yeah. that balance yeah 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 that you hold as a leader yes completely what i've learned over the years is obviously the the kind of more defined the container is in a way the more you kind of structure and take time to build the container which is everybody it's not just me announcing there's a container mm. um, it's everybody's truth coming into the space mm. and then slowly kind of co-creating 
a sense of containment, the more you can go into chaos, the more you can go into uncertainty, the more you can go into unsafety, you can go into mistrust as well. So yeah, I'm hearing a lot of people pronouncing containers as being safe, for example, like this is a safe space. I would, in my personal sense of that is I would never pronounce the safe, the, uh, the space as being safe. Um, I would allow people to figure that out for themselves. Is it safe or not safe? Um, so it's not like a doctrine or some kind of um, recipe to an extent. It's just that we kind of co-create the container and every single time the container is different. Um, so using certain frames and certain approaching very, very slowly as well is a really beautiful um, thing. The deeper we can approach in terms of like um, establishing different frames, psychological frames and frameworks of understanding, the deeper we can go when it comes to a catharsis work or, or to um, any kind of embodied sense of what's happening. Um, so yeah, I tend to go for cognition first and then slowly start to strip mm. that away, really get people's um, awareness around how they're showing up in their lives and how they're positioning themselves and where they're at in terms of a psychological development and they use a model called spiral dynamics which is an extremely powerful tool um, basically it's evolution of mind so it's looking at from our baby state to our adult state we don't just suddenly it's not like this smooth journey there are many different states of being between those two and obviously there are people in various different um, uh, states of, of awareness and consciousness and with different interests and different understandings and um, some people are more traditional and some people are more like um, innovative and some people are more uh, in a cultural sense more embedded in culture and some people are more about counterculture mm -hmm. and so what's happening there and it's a really amazing model for start to break start to break that up not really hard lines but to start to look at the different components and then to get an understanding of where we are in our developmental model and then where we are in relation to our friends and our family. And so it really helps to get some discernment on that. Um, prior to learning that model, I just had this kind of, I think, which can be the case with um, some people, is you just have this kind of homogenized cluster of experience and you don't really know, why, do I some, why am I sometimes like this with these people? Or, why do I relate to this more than this? And you try and understand, but this is a very profound way of clearing that really um, quickly and, and directly. Um, so I use that as, as a way for us to start to discern where we are at, where our trauma is also, where we potentially got shut down in power in our development, um, which is incredibly common um, in human development. Um, and then how we can go back and meet those um, specific points in our life which usually have a age frames as well so um it's yeah it's just a really useful tool mm. um, yeah and do you want to share more about um the different colors and the different stages mm -hmm. and how that relates to the work too because not only it's good for awareness i felt it was really good for awareness for myself what state mm. am i in mm. also we create a shared language so we can hold space for each other with more sure. understanding yeah but so there's these different colors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's broken up into different colors, which makes it really simple to understand in terms of. And you can, it's very. I mean, if I share anything now, it's going to be very reductionist. But essentially, you're going from baby states, which is the 
color beige, which is essentially survival. Um, it's <clears throat> complete dependency on one's caregivers. We don't really have a sense of self yet. We haven't developed an ego yet. We're basically in a very mm. um, a state of profound need and we rely heavily on, on other humans in order to survive. And that would be between the age of what well, zero and probably one to two years old. And then it goes to purple, which is um, about play, interaction, figuring the world out, exploration. Um, it's more of a, in, in some ways, it's more of a masculine energy that we want to go out in the world and we want to taste. So children will literally taste everything. They'll stick things in their mouth, they'll bite the edge of tables, and they'll go around and the adults will kind of follow them, like making sure they're safe, potentially. So that's purple in terms of the interior and exterior of our experience as well. Purple is very powerful, so it enables us to use our imagination in order to play. So children can project imaginary circumstances onto everything. So you give them a pen, it becomes multiple different things, and it actually can become that thing. So it's super powerful with that. And it's at that point that our ability to create also comes online and our ability to project also comes online. So as an adult, if we, if we continue to have that capacity to project, then we can project into other people and we can project into dead space in terms of our knowledge around like, you know, what we're seeing as opposed to what's actually happening. Um, so we kind of get distorted at that point as well. Mm. Um, so there's a kind of shadow side and there's a gift side and there's a kind of fully realized side to all of these different levels of development. Um, so that's purple, and then you from that emerges red, which is between the age of three to six years, more or less, which is when the child's, child's ego arises, so they suddenly get a sense of themselves, um, and an individual sense of self, so it's a first-person perspective, so it's I, me, mine, no, and boundaries are starting to form then. And these three, essentially, these three early developmental stages are the stages in which we can get into problems around with our caregivers, our parents essentially, um, around power, around our capacity to play, our capacity to feel welcome and um, to feel wanted in the world. These can be um, distorted at this point depending on how they interacted with us. So a good example of this would be red. When a child comes with red and they want to basically start defining themselves through boundaries and to um, also, anger can come at this point because it's just power. And if, if a parent feels that's oppositional, then they'll shut it down potentially mm. and they'll tell the child, don't be angry with me, never be angry. Mm. Um, and if that's really um, taken in, then the child will shut down that energy as an expression and will start to mediate the way they behave because they won't get their needs met, they won't be loved, they won't feel accepted if they're angry. So then the tendency is to create personas basically mm. like a, a nice boy or a nice girl or um, seducer like I'll just kind of be really sweet if you if it gets my needs met and all that kind of stuff so at that point we can kind of lose parts of ourselves and we can essentially contract energies in our body and then we can grow up with a very immature sense of our own power which is very very common in adults so when you hear adults of any age arguing often they'll sound like you know, six-year-olds or seven-year-olds. They have very limited articulation and their um, ability to rationalize, to be objective, is very limited too. So when we get triggered around anger, often it will take us back to the point where that energy was shut down. 
So using this model um, and this work, we would go to the age where you founded that um, limitation in your body and would work from that perspective. So work with your angry six-year-old, releasing that energy enables it to be free to start um, catching you up to an extent. So you would suddenly start to mature that energy again. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, can you imagine a world where that particular perspective got like equally matured over many many years as opposed to being shut down we would have very very different ways of behaving now we wouldn't have this sense that anger is unhealthy or unwanted or destructive it would be a much much more mature sense of that thing we call anger but essentially it's just power um, so people hold their power down in that and it's held down by the next stage which is um, blue and um, blue is about uh, family values um, uh, yeah, so family, religion, law, order, within a family construct, it would be about rules. So if you're coming with red, for example, and you're biting your brother or whatever, and your parents would go, you cannot bite your brother, this is, this is a boundary, that's very blue. So you're basically setting some kind of container for the child to, first of all, feel safe in, but also to, to understand that there are limitations um, to their expression. Um, and that can be done in a very healthy way. Like children need a certain amount of routine and a certain amount of predictability, but if it's limited too much, then it can feel imprisoning and can feel extremely limiting and can feel constrictive and, um, yeah. Which then leads to the next stage, which is called orange, which is about innovation, rebellion, which would come more or less around puberty. So when we hit puberty, we tend to rebel against the laws and the rules of the house and the way our parents do things becomes like the past it becomes something we're not very interested in we'll do something different we'll do something better we'll evolve things um, and so we try and move beyond the limitations of our parents boundaries and create a much more open way of interacting with the world basically so we move into state of orange um which orange quite individualistic indi yeah completely individualistic yeah individualistic in the business sense, it would be about making money, about like realizing a dream, like uh, being an entrepreneur, um, and um, yeah, looking at the very in a very crass way, looking at the kind of profitable gains of how to operate in the world, uh, how to you know make the most amount of money most efficiently um, with a good product, but how to minimize cost and things like that would be a very orange perspective. Um, and there's a point within that that you might start awakening to a deeper sense of a global value system, which would be realizing, you know, that employing people for one dollar an hour in India or one dollar a day in India even is possibly unethical, and that your, you know, your business has a certain environmental impact and things like this. So this would start to move you into the next stage of development, not in just a business sense, but in a personal sense as well, and um, that. Ultimately, when we go for those goals of like the incremental goals of um, materialistic possessions and you know things that can show our sense of self worth or value in terms of money are kind of empty to an extent. And some people never get beyond that. For them, it feels great to have a big house and multiple cars and whatever they mm -hmm. they arrive at as a kind of uh, an a image of success. For other people, it can feel super empty, and then it's like, well, what's beyond this? What happens 
beyond where I'm at because I'm still feeling actually lonely and kind of you know not very happy potentially I still have the same problems as I've always had this is not really solving anything so then you move into the next stage which is green which is essentially a counterculture it's more about community it's more about alternative living it's more of a global sense of heart-centered sense of um, being um, so then you know in a, again in a business sense you would probably alter your business to be much more sensitive to the nature of the world be more responsive to people be much more kind of open to compassionate and empathic way of dealing with things um, would be less about profit would be much more about people mm. and then in a personal sense would be um, yeah that you're much more living from the heart that you really value the community and the community that really deeply relates to you as opposed to just kind of you know your your neighbors you hardly ever speak to and um, yeah the people that work for you so yeah that's essentially the, the kind of main um, spread of the colors mm. in this, the spectrum. And I would like to add just the next one because then there's a few few more colors. Yeah, I think one is really interesting is the yellow. <coughs> and also you drew the parallel with organizations. I've mm. talked in this podcast about teal organizations, yeah. which is uh, um, in the book, Frederick Laloux, he replicates that work from Ken Wilber, mm -hmm. but at the organizational level. So mm -hmm. red would be like a mob, and blue is actually called amber, and it's mm -hmm. a church, military. Mm -hmm. uh, orange would be pretty, uh, like a very capitalistic, let's say, business, mm -hmm. corporate entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Gr green is more the fam a company that say they're family. Mm -hmm. Ethical and then, business and things yeah. along those lines, yeah. And, and then you have teal, which in Ken Wilber is yellow, but it's mm. the same. Uh, yellow is in, on the individual level. Mm -hmm. I'd like to finish with this one for now, mm -hmm. the spiral dynamics. Sure. Yeah, there's a massive jump happens between um, green and yellow um, because yellow essentially becomes self-aware. So in a business sense, well, in an individual sense, it's when somebody becomes realizes the limitations of their perspective. So up until this point, every single color or um, layer um, of the spiral has a particular perspective and it's limited. So if you're in a green perspective, you tend to look at orange as being, mm, there are certain things that you can align to, like technology that you can use, but essentially ethically you wouldn't align to, to orange very much at all because it's kind of destructive and it's, it has a certain consequence that you don't feel is good. Um, again, orange would look at blue. Similarly, that you know, blue has a certain functionality for orange business, for example, that you could use blue, but it's ultimately blue is following a very traditional path that is very limiting. So each perspective denies the perspective mm -hmm. before and therefore has a limited perspective itself. Yellow is very, very different because you suddenly become dynamically self-aware to the point where you can see the value and the truth in every single layer previously. So that's when the spiral becomes a spiral dynamic because you can start to move through um, each turn of the spiral very, very fluidly and you can see that the, every single perspective has a grain of truth. You're much more interested in, in ideas over community for example so rather than being super embedded in a particular perspective and having people around you that validate your perspective you're much more interested in challenging your own perspective mm -hmm. and 
um, being curious about other people, like how did you come to you know your ideologies, how did you come to your pers um, perspective in life or whatever. Um, so it's it's looking at um, yeah, it's looking at the, the different developmental stages much more um, fluidly and with less identification essentially. So you're loosening off any kind of limited identification and mm. you're looking at systems, your systems starting to what is called systems thinking. So you're looking at complex systems, not just complicated systems. So a complicated system is like a car. You can basically break down the components of a car and lay it out and it's complicated. But a complex system is a very um, constantly evolving system that is um, interdependent but also inter-co-creative in terms of the different nodes kind of constantly responding to each other and so nature in many ways is a complex system um, it's almost impossible to understand but we can you know be curious in terms of our engagement with it and so systems within systems and in those systems you would hold paradoxes so it's very difficult from limited perspectives to hold any kind of paradox because the thing that is in paradox mm. to your perspective um, would be essentially something that you would fundamentally disagree with or disown in terms of a value system. So this is really reclaiming unowned parts of ourselves as well um, and empowering ourselves. It's not that you have to suddenly agree with everything, it's that actually owning certain parts of ourselves that we've attributed to things on the outside is really, really powerful. So looking at something as being destructive, there's a lot of destructive behaviour in the world, often owning our own capacity to destroy is a very powerful way of, of creating a different relational dynamic to destruction. Mm. Um, because we things that are easy for us to admit, like, oh, I'm a great person, and people say, oh, you're amazing, and you're you know fantastic human being, that's super easy to, <laughs> it's super easy easy to admit. Yeah, it's super easy to receive that. But if people are critical, and you know, um, also if people are showing up in a way that you don't feel aligned to, then that's very, very difficult to admit in ourselves that we potentially have that capacity too. Mm. So a lot of this work using spiral dynamics as well is about reclaiming the parts of us that we've mm. basically outsourced to other people and disempowered ourselves. Mm. So the more we can reclaim, the more we can feel empowered and the more dynamically we can move mm. uh, in life and we can meet people where they're at as opposed to wanting them to meet us where we're at. So it allows to really resonate with more people. Yeah, yeah. And then we can dilate our compassion muscle and empathy and mm. have a lot more dynamic experiences and hear lots of different perspectives and realize mm. that there are multiple realities happening at once. Um, mm. And yeah, so it's a very powerful tool. That, that really resonates with me. I mean, I don't know if it's so accurate. I'd identify more as yellow now. Mm. And I know this, mm. and I can see the evolution. I don't think I've spent a lot of time in in blue, mm. but um, I was very orange. Mm. I did a prestigious business school, and I quite liked the game of being an entrepreneur, or even in my startup having great results and being successful in the in the criteria of the Western world. Let's say. Mm. And, um, and then about four years ago, I got a bit of a spiritual awakening. And then I could feel that I was like I had the truth. Mm. And I was quite preachy. Mm. 
mm. I wanted everyone around me to start meditation. Oh, you have to start meditation. Mm -hmm. I bought 70 The Power of Now. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my friends and all my family, they got The Power of Now mm. to read. Mm -hmm. I don't know if many of them actually read it. A few, a few did. They liked it. Mm -hmm. I was like, so, so, mm. you have to read <laughs> Did you read it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I found that more recently, maybe in the past two years or so, it's been easier for me to relate, for example, with old friends or with family of someone says something about me. I don't take it so personally. So mm. I, f I feel that at least the way I understand it, I, I see that pattern of orange, green and going beyond that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's been very helpful for me, nice. even though I could feel it, to mm. have that, let's say, rational frame around mm -hmm. to understand better. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, moving into like a yellow perspective also dilates one's experience in terms of receiving life, too. That it's less filters. We're less biased around our own filters, around our own perspective. And so we can receive and admit more in terms mm. of allowing life in being penet literally penetrated by life you know and then in terms of our expression then our expression can be way more dynamic too because we just have this much broader sense of who we are we we get a kind of more centered sense of ourselves and a more like healthy ego can start to kind of build itself or rebuild itself around in our essence who we are so if we're not certain of who we are then we tend to try and define it on the outside of ourselves we'll go into relationships with, with people that will are making up for lacks in ourselves. for example and i'm not very confident or whatever the narrative is and then we'll look for somebody who potentially is even not very confident too or is confident enough to for me to kind of rest in my unconfidence and to rely on them to be that kind of person um so the more i realized in myself around being abundant in my being then the less i'm looking for someone else to complete me or whatever the narrative mm. is around partnership or friendship or or relationship in business or whatever it is and so yeah it's a fantastic tool for that yeah. mm. and as i see i've evolved i, I even have people who eat meat interviewed in the there <laughs> <laughs> yeah vegan was, would be a big one also yeah green paradigm yeah very much so yeah vegan um you know having a strong spiritual practice mm. meditation or yoga or whatever it is no you have to do kundalini yeah. yoga you have to that's the one exactly yeah. yeah the particular kind of yoga is really yeah. important yeah exactly not just any kind of yoga well you can but a year of kundalini yoga would be about yeah. 10 years of other types of yoga there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> plant medicine also is a massively mm. powerful one as well and this can be the transition between orange and green can be instigated in literally one plant medicine journey. so a lot of entrepreneurs or people will go and discover ayahuasca or whatever it is and they'll take um, they'll go to Peru or they'll mm. do a ceremony and suddenly they're like yeah. their mind is blown and they're like shit I didn't this is a completely different landscape and they're shaken up to the extent where they have to start. They start questioning everything, including themselves. Yeah, for me, LSD was four years ago part mm. of the uh, uh, let's say accelerate acceleration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, spiritual change. Yeah, yeah, and then we can start. You know, the 
problem then is it, it that level of awareness and development can be very seductive and we can start to again build an identity around it and we find our tribe we find our people we find a new sense of family and it's very very seductive in terms of you know i just want to be here um with people that are in my agreement field have the similar perspective and then immediately we start to other as soon as we say us we say we create them and so the othering thing can become a big problem because um we can put people like into boxes and it's very convenient for us mm. to do so and we're not really looking at anyone as an individual or as a, any kind of with any kind of dynamic <coughs> it's it's a tricky one because for example here we're building community and we have agreement fields mm. because we feel i want to live with people who have certain values and share certain values doesn't mean necessarily that I don't want to talk or see other people that mm. are outside that agreement field, but sure. we're also community people. And I mean, for me, I know if I don't know if that's a green thing, but it feels good to live with people who share my values for health, for sovereignty, for decentralization and freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and I could live with people who don't share these values, mm. but that's not my preference. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's concentric rings, like one doesn't need to necessarily live with the people, but being open to other people's perspectives yeah. and to challenge one's own boundaries around yeah. that <clears throat> and not to have these kind of hardwired boundaries where we're denying or we're holding yeah. things off. Um, and I think in terms of community building, it's really, really valuable to challenge within the community. I mean, the ultimate community is one's relationship with oneself. If mm. one doesn't have a really good open strong sense of oneself then yeah. stepping into community again we can kind of outsource mm. the decentralized sense of self into the community and that can become unstable to to an extent mm. especially if we're not going into interpersonal dynamics actually and challenging that within the community itself so a lot of communities now are saying we want to create something different radically different and so in my world that starts with this and yeah. this if this if one interpersonal connection can't be um, seen clearly or realized clearly or without tools or ways of figuring through things in a really open, compassionate way, then as soon as you start to fractal that out, it becomes increasingly complicated mm. and then it becomes complex and then it becomes very difficult to, to actually manage to a certain extent. As soon as it goes over any, specifically 150 people, for example, which is the Dunbar number, Mm. which is anything below 150 you can have um, a personal relationship with up to 150 people and you don't really need a centralized um, hierarchical way of leadership you can have a decentralized leadership as soon as you go over 150 then certain dynamics start to build from there and you start to lose a sense of personal connection and so fundamentally for me um, the personal side of the developmental model of first of all self-development but also community development comes with self-actualization and realization and that comes with trauma work shadow work like speak the capacity to speak truth um, radically as well um, and to challenge um, but also hold compassionately too so it's a kind of balance between those forces yeah yeah that's super interesting um i do think we can go beyond not knowing people and have some decentralized way to 
to still operate and trust and, mm -hmm. and do things. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, even the community we do, we have the the community aspect of it and our values, but a lot of it is personal development mm -hmm. and going towards self-actualization and mm -hmm. is around, um, yeah, being all sensitive but honest and mm -hmm. holding yeah. each other in our higher selves. Mm -hmm. um, you talk, yeah, but a lot of it is about trauma healing. Mm -hmm. Do you, question, I know the answer to, do you feel there's a lot of traumas to heal on this planet? Yeah, a lot. And do you feel it's not done very well so far? Well, it's, I mean, there's many modalities of trauma healing. Mm -hmm. and I think some, there's some amazing trauma work being done, for sure. And, um, but why is yours the best? And I don't think mine is the best. <laughs> it's just a way. Um, it's very, very yellow of you. Yeah. <laughs> so yellow. Um, yeah, I think there's, I mean, I'm using trauma in a very broad sense. Like some people will be way more specific. Some people use big T and small T trauma. So big T being something very impactful and profound that happened to somebody in childhood or an accident or some kind of very, very significant traumatic mm -hmm. event. Little T is little incremental moments of neglect or lack of self-worth and things that build up over time. Um, but I'm using essentially the notion of trauma very, very openly. Um, broadly um, so it's essentially anything that's unequalized in the body so something that's existing inside one's <coughs> interiority that doesn't necessarily match or meet the exterior landscape so holding an energy or a perspective or a secret inside our mind or inside our body energetically or emotionally and not having the confidence and feeling that it's unacceptable to express ourselves or to articulate what's happening is a contraction essentially in my world and so the le the least the less contractions possible um, so that we can have this kind of homeostasis openness that equalizes the pressure otherwise we have pressure building up on the inside of our body and then we have you know it can come out in fight trauma it can come out flight trauma by running away from a situation it can um, cause freeze in the body system so we go into a contraction to the extent where our body starts to shut down and we get very limited and mm. we just essentially go into a kind of shutdown um, of our body and our, our mind our mind seizes up and we can't articulate or rationalize anything anymore so the le the less we can have in terms of reacting to the world around us the more we can be in in an active adult state um, where essentially we feel safe because um, the opposite of trauma really is safety because all trauma is a feeling of not feeling safe either in one's own body or in relation to other people mm. so it's a very um, significant um, indicator of trauma is when we look around a room and no one feels safe even the, even our loved one even our beloved or someone who's a, we would consider a friend if they don't feel suddenly don't, doesn't feel safe that's a really good indicator that something traumatic has been triggered in one's body system. So in my world, we need, there's a need for adults, operating adults that are in action and not in reaction um, and functioning in a way where we can really start to evolve in many respects, the community and the culture and the spirituality and um, you know, emotionally as well. Yeah, we're fantastically amazing at manifesting materially. This is something we've mastered and we'll continue to master exponentially. 
like so the ag from the agricultural to the industrial to the computer revolutions it's just like <laughs> but we haven't done the same in terms of our emotional evolution mm. our emotional evolution has been kind of constant to to an extent and if we were to evolve at the same speed as we're doing materially we would be in a very very different mm. place yeah yeah and thank you by the way at the at the retreat i remember one of the things that <laughs> came to me is at some point I was getting back like a baby and you held me for a really long time mm -hmm. and and the part of me felt oh is it okay is it going to need to do something else and, and I could see the um, patterns and of not being conscious but not really asking what I need sometimes or feeling it's not okay or that I can't be supported mm -hmm. no, yeah so yeah. There's, there's also to give a a, an image of what happens during these retreats is mm. like I, I went back to a um, younger age and feel that I rewired a bit the, the story there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah, these really young ages are foundational and fundamental, mm. and we can, at that kind of age when we're so susceptible and we're so yeah. fresh in the world, we can easily be traumatized mm. or we can be influenced by our environment in a profound way so healing those foundational mm. pieces of ourselves can be like life-changing because yeah i mean yeah. young like when you're just born and we give you blinding lights of the hospital take you from your mother exactly. <laughs> yeah completely and actually there's a lot of rebirth process because birth yeah. in our society is probably a very it's made to be pretty traumatic yeah yeah i mean yeah completely you know it's 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 the story around birth is it's painful and you need to push and it's it has a certain trauma element you go into a hospital there's a clinical environment we associate hospitals with ill health for mm. example and everything is like you said bright lights and people with masks and mm. goggles and you know gloves and you get taken and washed and whatever and then you get placed nowadays you get placed directly on your mother which is super important but for years they would take the baby away for up to five or six minutes before it was mm. placed back on the mother. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not surprising that a lot of people, there's a fundamental <coughs> feeling that one isn't welcome in the world or one doesn't have a strong sense of mm. place. Um, and <coughs> that can come from those very yeah. early developmental stages. Yeah. Thanks Tom, I mean, we could, we could go on a lot on this, sure. all of these topics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I want to really thank you for, for the work you're doing and you've been doing with many people, with me, your dedication. Uh, I'd love to know a little bit more what's uh, up for you now, if mm. there's something you want to share with the people who listen, mm. how they can follow you. Sure. Um, well, at the moment I'm based in Bali, and for the next two months I'm taking some time out. I want to go to the mountains and I want to paint. Um, I want to create in different ways and spend some time in nature. Um, and then at the moment, my retreats are based specifically here. Uh, the next one will be at the end of January. Um, it's, uh, I've never really advertised ever for them. I don't really have a big, I don't have a social media presence. Um, I don't really use Instagram or Facebook for that. I tend to socialize a little bit, but I'm, I'm not heavily present there. So it's all word of mouth. Um, and invitation in some sense through someone else's experience and that's always been the way that I've advertised if there's any advertising it's through other people's um, experience um, so that's essentially how this thing moves and so far it's worked that way and I, I kind of like that to an extent 
Um, so yeah, uh, there'll be uh, my intention in the next year is to to land consistent monthly retreats here mm. okay. um, for the next year or so. Okay. Has anything changed? So you are going to leave? Yeah. No, I'm not going to leave. Okay. Yeah. Good I time. decided to stay here for three months. Amazing. More. Yeah, I felt a lot of pressure and uncertainty around that, so. I decided to stay, and mm. when I decided to stay, my whole body relaxed, and I knew okay. it was the right thing. So. <laughs> I, I did the same in July. I thought yeah. I'd go to Costa Rica. And okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy you're staying. Thank you. And Me too. Do you have a last uh, thing you want to share with the people who listen? Um, well, it's been an honor to share this with you, um, and yeah, I can't really think of anything I want to share right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's just been a beautiful experience. Thank you so much for offering this to me, isn't it? Um, and yeah, I feel yeah, I feel very honored to have had this time to share. So thank you. Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened. Thank you for taking some of your precious time to listen to this podcast. If you stayed until the end, I assume it was insightful. So if you like this podcast, please share with friends. Remember that if you tag us in your Instagram story at the Light Leaders Podcast, we will repost. Tell us what you've learned. You can also leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Now, if you want to stay posted about new podcast releases, especially as we get censored more and more on big tech platforms, make sure to join our newsletter and our Telegram. You'll find the links on thelightleaders.org. And feel free to contact me directly too, whether it's for feedback or potential collaborations. Thank you again, and let's co-create the conscious new earth together.